Hello, everybody. My name is Robert Douglas, and it's time for this week's edition of Deploy Friday. We call it Deploy Friday because we at Platform SH think that Friday is the very best day of the week to deploy that code that you're working on right now. So go ahead, push commit, push get push it up to the cloud, and sit back and relax. Uh, it's Friday, and enjoy the show we've got today. The show we've got today is going to focus on OpenStack. Now, we recently had some members of the um, Open Infrastructure Foundation, formerly the OpenStack Foundation. And this episode is actually a continuation of our exploration of OpenStack as an enormously vital piece of open source software in the context of running your own cloud infrastructure. And with me today, I have uh, guests who work with OpenStack as a foundation of their business. Uh, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. But uh, I'm really excited to hear the value that OpenStack is bringing to uh, businesses uh, and um, medical institutions uh, and bioscience uh, institutions around the, the, the globe um, in this episode. So let's start with Dr. Jens Kruger. Jens, go ahead. Who are you? Where are you? And what organization are you with? Yeah, hello, everybody. My name is Jens Krüger. I'm head of the high performance and cloud computing group at the Compute Center of the University of Tübingen, southwest of Germany, on the other side of the Black Forest. Um, Tübingen is one of the older, well-established universities in Germany with a strong focus on life sciences and medical sciences, among other things. And we are a little bit specialized in that area, providing compute, storage, and research data management for these communities. Thank you. Awesome. Um, and uh, just give us a brief, so you're a customer of Sardinia Systems, from uh, which Kenneth Tan and Michaela are part of, right? Exactly. We are operating okay. a couple of clouds and they run on FishOS, Sardina's main product. And yeah, actually they are running, they are working and people are using them. But I guess we talk about more details later. Great. All right. Let's move on to uh, this is the let's move on to Kenneth Tan. Who are you? Where are you? And uh, where what what tell me about Sardinia systems a little bit. Hi, uh, hi everyone. My name is Kenneth Tan. Um, I'm one of the founders of uh, Sardina Systems. Um, we are a software company developing a cloud platform building on OpenStack, Kubernetes, and Ceph. Um, at the, uh, since founding the company in 2015, um, we've grown over time building the uh, platform, focusing on uh, operations tools, uh, targeting private clouds. So, okay, great. We're going to get into that in much more detail mm -hmm. in a second, but I, I want Michaela to also introduce herself, please. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Michaela Constantinescu. I am responsible for marketing activities within Sardina Systems team. I have joined the company almost um, five years ago, and I must confess that I'm really proud of what we managed to build in this period with ups and downs, of course, but especially growing, going through the coronavirus times. Um, 
thanks to the great team that we have now with Sardina Systems, we managed to be the number one choice for efficient private cloud management. Awesome. And I am based in Romania. Thank you. And uh, uh, it broke up for just a second, but um, you are the CMO of the company, right? The chief marketing officer. Oh, yes, I'm, yes, the marketing okay. director of the company. Fantastic. Okay, let's get into the case study, uh, the first one uh, that Jens has brought us. So um, I was told that we are going to talk about a website called denbi.de. What is that? Yeah, that stands for Deutsches Netzwerk Bioinformatik or German Network for Bioinformatics. Okay. It's a federated research project environment with dozens of partners all over Germany. And part of this broader consortium is the so-called Denby Cloud. We Denby Cloud. have now eight different uh, sites where hardware is operated. In Bielefeld, Gießen, at the Charité in Berlin, at the DKFZ in Heidelberg, Freiburg, and also Tübingen. And all sites are operated individually, but we have a yeah, common framework, a common policy, a common authentication authorization framework based on Elixir AI, and also common project management for the applicants. Okay, give give me a broad picture of the 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 need that this consortium serves. What problems are you addressing in the world? So there are plenty of scientists, ranging from plant scientists interested in the descendants of certain crops and how to breed them to become more resistant to drought or, or stuff like that. On the one end of the spectrum and on the other end of the spectrum, we have uh, biomedical research in these days, um, COVID research, assembling virus genomes, but also uh, looking on yeah, patient data on probabilities to get really sick and who's prone, who's not prone, that are projects that are run by yeah, our scientists, our customers in the ac academic sector that are using our resources. Okay. Uh, would you give us the story of how you came to work with Kenneth and Michaela and, and kind of what they do, what, what, what they bring to this consortium and the project? Yeah, well, um, everybody who ever tried to install a computer at home on small scale knows how tedious that can be. And when we are talking about uh, installations of hundreds of uh, server machines with GPUs, with our GPUs, integrating storage, establishing user management, I mean, that's our business. We know how to do that well for classical HPC systems, but for clouds, things are a little bit different. And uh, yeah, therefore we, we got in touch with uh, Sardina Systems, especially Ken and uh, Michaela, and agreed pretty quickly that we give it a try. And it was now, I don't know, four years ago, I guess? Indeed. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah, quite some time. And yeah, no, it worked out extremely well. I mean, um, the product, Fish OS, um, 
is basically uh, a, a nice phrasing for service and implementation help, if I may call it like that. Please co correct me, Ken, if I'm drifting off. But um, yeah, um, I have to make a little detour. I mean, we are a university that is a public institution, and we are not really flexible in hiring people for short-term projects, building up such a cloud and, and things like that. And in that context, um, Sardina systems came in extremely handy. A lot of knowledge and a lot of service when it came to configuring OpenStack um, services, creating proper concepts, where to place them, how to create high availability setups, load balancing, and things like that. I mean, it's all open source, open stack, but uh, still to, to build up the knowledge to operate that in a safe and resilient manner isn't so easy and takes quite some time. And so we profited a lot from Sardina Systems. Thank you. And I understand that Sardina Systems offer uh, the Fish OS is the product name, but that uh, involves managing the OpenStack software with potential add-ons for managing uh, Kubernetes and Ceph, which is storage, C-E-P-H. Um, do, do you have all of those? Um, currently, we own, only have uh, the, the OpenStack service, if you like to phrase it like that. Just in these days, we are expecting the delivery of storage hardware, and we are going to build up a Ceph cluster for the German human genome phenome archive. That is one of the national research infrastructure projects uh, that just started last autumn. And that Ceph installation is designated as long-term storage for sensible patient data. So not okay. really archive, but um, yeah, we, we have all the challenges there. We need a tight integration with the cloud. We have the GDPR rules, and of course, we want to do that properly. And yeah, I'm looking forward for the next weeks, how things will evolve on, on that side. Well, great. Thank you. That gives us... Um a broad overview of what's going on. Let's come back to that story along the way. I'd like to dive in a little bit more to uh, the importance of focusing on OpenStack as the core of uh, a whole company's product. So I think, Ken, this is really a question for you. Uh, when, you when, when you founded this company, Sardina Systems, uh, and you chose OpenStack, what were the things that you were looking for? What drove you to that decision? What are the qualities of the software that uh, encouraged you to bet the farm on, you know, that. So in 20, before we formed the company in 20, uh, 2014, um, we actually did work in around uh, the cloud platform um, arena um, going back to 2011, 2012. Um, so when you, when you look at the, uh, the market, so to speak, uh, the, the open source world at the time, um, <clears throat> there were a number of uh, candidates, number of uh, uh, projects that were building um, open, open source cloud platforms. Um, but uh, it was very quick, 
very quickly that we, we, we realized that um, uh, the velocity of development in OpenStack was tremendous. And uh, we therefore um, started in 2014, betting the farm, as you uh, put it, um, building the company on OpenStack. Uh, and there is now. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> that was a very concise answer, and uh, but also precise, which I appreciated. And we're getting a little bit of feedback that the uh, audio is inconsistent. Um, I hope that that's not for everybody. Um, so let's 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 take a step back up, um, Michaela. Maybe you could uh, put on your marketing hat for us. Uh, how do you describe? your company and the product to people, you know, the elevator pitch. Let's make sure that we really understood, uh, you know, what Sardina Systems does. Um, so first of all, I would say that um, uh, I would like to mention, in fact, that we are an open infrastructure company, which means that Fisheries, our Fisheries product is a distribution of OpenStack, fully recognized by the Open Infrastructure Foundation, for, formerly known as the OpenStack Foundation. Uh, and um, if I have to put it like in a short, just to make it a very attractive pitch, um, Fisheries is the product for any enterprise uh, looking to accelerate innovation to um, enable an efficient and uh, flexible uh, private cloud platform. So focused on private clouds. So let's, let's, let's talk about private clouds. Who has private clouds? Obviously research organizations uh, like the University of Tübingen and the consortium around that. Who else has private clouds? Well, we can look into telecommunication and um, there are plenty of big uh, telecommunication companies, and we even have uh, a user in Israel, for example, is one of the biggest telco provider in Israel. Then we can look into healthcare, um, finance, uh, hosting uh, HPC, uh, government. So a lot of people have private clouds. Banks generally have private clouds. Generally, people who need things private. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to appreciate your talent for succinct answers, Kenneth. That's that's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay, that's a great. Private and secure, also not only private but also very secure. Private and secure. Okay, and yeah. um, Jens, you mentioned that when you were looking to build this cloud out, that one of the bottlenecks um, was finding the right people on a short-term basis, um, and and that and that's kind of the trigger that you had for uh, finding Sardina Systems. I mean, what what was the problem space that led you to look outside of your own expertise? for managing this? Basically, there's a complexity of OpenStack services. OK. Is it really that hard? Tell me about it. Um, yeah, the, the learning curve is uh, pretty steep. I mean, when you're standing on the top, it's easy. But to, to get there on your own, that takes time and effort, especially time. 
And when we started the Denby Cloud in Tübingen, yeah, it should go online as uh, soon as possible. And um, to prepare for that, uh, during that time, we had two computer science master students uh, put on that topic, find out what Nova is good for, what is the Cinder volume, <laughs> deploy that, uh, have a look, explain how it works, how, how shall we uh, set it up. And um, yeah, these two guys were smart, put a lot of effort into it, but that was maybe a fraction of 20% or something like that uh, compared to the level we are operating now on with the help of Sadia. Okay. And it sounds like the project started at Tubingen and maybe was isolated at Tubingen, but it's since grown. Is that is that right? You mentioned all eight other uh, data centers attached to research institutions that are part of the system. How did that grow? Um, to, to be clear about that, so the other sites are um, operating independently of each other. So some oh, of okay. the sites are also using uh, Sardina systems. Some uh, do it on their own. Some have other support from other companies. So that's uh, all a little bit individual. Okay, but, is there chatter between you guys saying, hey, go Sardina course, or course, anything like course. that yet? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, to, to give an example, the colleagues from Gießen, I mean, after they saw the, the experience for, from us in, in Tübingen, maybe a year or two later, they also opted for, for Sardina. And um, how shall I put that? The colleagues over there are very knowledgeable and, and critical. And that they made such a decision is, is really a, a positive sign. Okay, I'd say so. <laughs> um, I would like to get more into the problem space of managing OpenStack. We've really only painted a very broad picture. Um, maybe, Ken, this is an, a question for you again. If if I've never set up an OpenStack, can you talk me through what I would be facing if I wanted to do that for myself? Sure, sure. So um, <clears throat> in, the, uh, in the early days of uh, OpenStack, um, the challenge of deploying OpenStack certainly wasn't as easy as this is today. Um, the, uh, we, re we recall, you know, the, uh, to deploy a system, you've got to figure out um, how do each of the components uh, relate each other, understand that, and the uh, thousands of uh, configuration options, how do they relate? And uh, sure, the code is open source. Um, theoretically, one could uh, deploy it. And theoretically, Linux kernel is also open source. But how many of us actually run a, a, a Linux instance that is entirely built ourselves? Very few of us do that. Um, and so we rely on a distribution to make that happen. And uh, so 
in the OpenStack space, it's not that much different. There is the open source part, and we then turn into a distribution that is easier to deploy, easier to operate. Now, in relation to operation, you know, once you deploy a system, uh, you are then having to live with it. How do you live with the system? Um, there are the uh, uh, log management tools for a start. Where are the monitoring tools? None of that's integrated with OpenStack. It, you could integrate them. Sure, that takes time and effort. Um, and uh, next release of OpenStack, the API may have changed. You're back to square one. And uh, then, and this is just in relation to uh, the simpler functionalities around uh, uh, log management and monitoring. And as before, you go into some more advanced functionalities and uh, uh, functional uh, as well as some of the functionalities that uh, service providers need, such as uh, uh, usage accounting, billing, um, backup, so on and so forth. And then uh, six months after you deploy the system, as I mentioned, OpenStack comes up with a new release. For the users, it's fantastic new innovation, fantastically new capabilities. But for the operators, they are fantastically new headaches. <laughs> <laughs> and Jens is nodding to confirm. So you must have at least witnessed or experienced some of those headaches. And that, those are the kinds of headaches that Sardina systems help alleviate, I, I take it. Yeah, in short, uh, they provide um, an environment and support for rolling update with um, theoretically zero downtimes and practically something very close to that. So um, that saves a lot of headaches. Okay, that's good to hear. Sorry to interrupt this, because whenever you do an upgrade, you need to do it N plus one. You cannot skip update upgrades. Oh, it has to go sequential. Like you can't go four, five, seven. You've got to yeah. go four, five, six, seven, whether yeah. you want six or not. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So okay. <laughs> life is even that, harder. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. So what are the prerequisites if I'm a potential customer for Sardina Systems and I think I want your services, what questions do you ask me to qualify me as a customer? Um, so, once we address the uh, question of scale, um, understand why do you want a private cloud? What are your drivers for uh, a private cloud? In other privacy words, and security. I learned that already. Correct. <laughs> Whether privacy, security are amongst the reasons. And uh, another uh driver is cost. So uh, I, I can't go into the uh, specifics of operator of various operators, um, but uh, we know of cases where uh, uh, certain operators are able to run positive margin 
if they were to charge prices of 1% of public cloud operators. Oh, you mean Amazon's gouging us? Um, not saying that. <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds like sounds like it's uh, like, uh, never mind. Um, okay, so that means if I were to go get my own bare metal, mm -hmm. and I do everything right, and I do it at the right scale, and I mm -hmm. go for Sedena Systems and OpenStack, that I could basically have my own private cloud at really small fractions of the cost of if I had, were going to Azure or Google Compute Cloud. Correct. Correct. Wow. Wow, but you didn't you didn't mention cost savings as one of the reasons for wanting a private cloud. It sounds like that's one of the compelling reasons. That's one of the uh, reasons, but uh, uh, also we have a a client which, um, when they did an analysis, they found that uh, the full full fat service. Um, versus a uh, bare bones service. Um, with full fat service, they could uh, operate it at um, under a third of public cloud, and that's people cost everything included. That's very impressive. Okay. Yeah. Now I know what I'm going to do with the room full of servers I've got next door. <laughs> <laughs> All we right. Talk after. Um, yeah, exactly. And I also want to talk to Jens afterwards about that, you know, that chance I have of dying from a horrible disease that he mentioned. <laughs> That's, I was going to like get your phone number after that one. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm the, the um, hoster of, of hardware here and, and not the scientist. I don't have that, that hat on right? today. I mean, you can go in and get the data, right? I'm just kidding. I know you can't. <laughs> um, good. So I would like to just back up a, a, a small bit and sing the praises of um, OpenStack um, from the point of view of Platform SH a little bit. Uh, I Usually the, the show, we don't talk about Platform SH so much, but um, I, I, I wanted to say, uh, kind of, you know, the 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 thought process that brought me to Sardina Systems when I was looking around the internet for experts in OpenStack who could come and talk about it and give some light to this amazing software that's an enabling um, so many, you know, uh, incredible projects like the the DENBI project, the DENB project, DENBDA project. Um, for us, we focused on OpenStack as simply uh, a way to guarantee interoperability. And I think this is one of the very large selling points of um, open source in general, but OpenStack in particular, in, in that it's the way that software for cloud infrastructure management becomes interoperable. Uh, it's kind of like the, the, the pivotal, you know, uh, center point from which all of the spokes in the wheel come out in, in, in my view of the cloud infrastructure wor world. So we focused on that because at Platform SH, where we run a platform as a service, which allows you to basically throw your code, your app application code into the cloud and just expect that it runs. Um, we were able to do partnerships with uh, two public clouds and actually make a private cloud. And I just wanted to like, with 
wide eyes and uh, a lot of admiration for the software uh, name these cases because they're so incredibly empowering to us as a business. For example, we were able to uh, offer a uh, public cloud pass for OVH, which is one of the larger hosters, uh, cloud hosters in France and throughout Europe and, and in fact the world. And it's a, 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 an offer that's just coming out now. Prior to that, we also offered public cloud pass services to enterprise grade applications, uh, primarily in France with Orange Business Services. And in that context, we even were able to offer a private cloud pass for a bank uh, in France, which uh, very much fits the definition of private and secure. So as you were saying all of these like qualifiers for private cloud in particular, I was like nodding my head, yes, oh yeah, that fits our case precisely. It was exactly the uh, combination of having customer financial data and uh, needing to manage security uh, on your own and not being able to hand that off to an AWS or GCP that pushed that particular customer to the private cloud solution uh, and enabled us to do business with them. And so I see OpenStack as this amazing enabler to bring together uh, ecosystems of cloud infrastructure service providers like Sardina Systems and Platform SH in a way that uh, a public cloud can't, right? Because they're generally proprietary. There are lots of OpenStack public clouds, but they're also the GCPs and the Azures and the Amazons. And their goal is not necessarily to bring together this open ecosystem. Um, can you tell me more about in that vein, can you tell me more about how you participate in the open infrastructure um, organization, because uh, foundation, because th that was really interesting to me a few weeks ago to interview them about how they bring governance to the project. And now I would love to hear from the uh, vendor point of view, what it's like to be a part of that. Mihaela, do you want to answer this? Uh, I will start and then yes, you can. Uh complete uh, so from our uh, point of view uh, we try to be as much as possible involved within the community uh, we uh, get involved with on uh, in all their events as well we like the the ecosystem that they are creating and unfortunately now that the uh, the um, events are not taking place anymore. That's a pity because we don't have this um, environment to get in contact with all the people using OpenStack and all the, the users utilizing the software. But somehow uh, we are still um, trying to get uh, the benefits of the networking through different online events that they are uh, doing their best to organize. Um, and we recently became also an uh, open uh, infrastructure uh, silver member um, of the foundation. Um, so basically, we we want to be uh, in the foundation's um, environment, uh, support the product as much as possible, and. Um, be in contact with the community. Okay. Uh, Ken, did you want to add anything to that? 
No, no that's... Okay, how about, uh, I wanted to maybe go back to the point that you made about your system, it's Fish OS, uh, that also being an open source product, is that true? So the, in OpenStack, um, sorry, in, in FishOS, we build on uh, some sort of open stack, some open source OpenStack components. Um, some of the uh, the operations tools, um, these are not open source. Um, these these are our uh, proprietary IP. So okay. it's a mix of both worlds. And do you find uh, opportunities to participate in the open source community directly with code? Uh, is that a challenge? Uh, how do you how do you make those decisions? Um, so the we do contribute some code upstream, um, particularly on the uh, uh, tool side of things. Um, and uh, when we look at um, the development of open source, um, the for Sardina, um, we tend to work with the developers and helping uh, developers enabling direction, um, providing input. Uh, and we've done that in a number of instances, um, including the firewall as, as a service um, component in uh, OpenStack. Uh, did I understand firewall as a service? Yeah. Okay. Um, not familiar with that, but it, it That's sounds... just yet another building block within the OpenStack farm of yeah. building blocks. And how about at the university level, Jens? Is is there um, a strong mandate in Germany to adopt open source and open protocols, or do you have basically your free choice to get things done however you want, even if it's to have Oracle come in and set up camp? Um, yeah, I have to say it depends. When you're talking about scientific research, the funding agencies becoming more and more strict that the results have to be open and fair. So scientific uh, data, including application source code and, and everything, when that happens within a scientific context. The other side, I'm working at a compute center. Of course, we need to operate things. And that also means um, yeah, to, to buy in knowledge, to buy in software, and sometimes that's proprietary. That's just a fact like in every other company. So um, always depends. I see myself a little bit at the border between two worlds, these two worlds. Therefore, I'm always trying to push my scientists to use um, yeah, open source software uh, applications they can look into and understand and see what they are doing. That's uh, part of good uh, scientific practice, but uh, it always depends a little bit on the discipline and on the community, how widespread the spirit already is. Okay. Um, so I was curious when you mentioned that you're uh, investing right now um, in a Ceph storage layer. Um, we had discussed Ceph a little bit before the call, before you got on with, with Ken and Mihaela, um, because that's a common component uh, 
uh, also in Platform SH that enables some of the very specific capabilities that we offer, particularly on being able to snapshot a running application and make a copy of it into a development environment so that a developer has uh, realistic data and realistic services to develop against. Um, and we tie that to Git branches and it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but that's really based on the capabilities of Ceph. So um, I, I just wanted to make a banner on that. So if you're watching and you can't acoustically parse what I'm saying, Ceph, and you're Googling for Ceph, but you're not finding it, it's there, it's C-E-P-H, C-E-P-H dot I-O. Um, what, what, what is um, the Denby DA going to do with their Ceph cluster? What's, what, what are the goals that you have? Well, um, to provide storage. So There's a very basic uh, punchline. And um, the things we are going to install and set up are specifically designated for storing sensible data in the sense of patient clinical data, uh, genomic data from uh, volunteers that needs to be well protected and that needs to be secure. Secure in the sense uh, against data loss and, and um, disaster cases uh, on the hardware. Because um, when we get, for example, a sample or the genetic information from a sample from a cancer patient, how sad it may be, but that guy might have passed away sometime after he got cancer. And if we suddenly, after 10 years, uh, lose that data due to some failing hard disk, that uh, would really be a pity because we can't go back and ask him for another sample. Yeah. So that has to be secure, resilient, and um, well-protected. And at the same time, we need uh, a lot of capacity. This genomic data I'm talking about is, is huge. So easily several dozen gigabytes per individual sample, per, per individuum in, in such data sets. So that's it's all CATGs, just like several dozen gigabytes of CATGs, or am I not, not understanding this well? <laughs> um, yeah, well, well um, uh, human genome, that is a couple of, of gigabytes, uh, depending on how you represent that. Okay. And that sums up, we're aiming at several thousand, tens of thousand data sets. So overall, we will have a couple of petabytes. And the, wow. the whole design is that we uh, put the self storage, in fact, creating, we, we anticipate to create two self storages at two different sites and have some geo-redundancy and replication between these two self clusters. And yeah, like that, uh, we, we hope to have um, all the security and durability we, we are looking for. Fantastic. And what does Sardina Systems bring to the operation of that? What's kind of the process uh, involved in setting that up and maintaining it? Do I just, I call you and say, okay, the servers are all plugged in, go. <laughs> yeah, that is a perfect description of what I'm doing. Ken, okay. here's the hardware. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I come back to uh, Jens and say, Jens, here it is. What's Done. the password? <laughs> That's the next question. <laughs> yeah. No, so, but in all seriousness, what goes into that? Um, 
So the uh, the uh, process is, is broadly that um, hardware is, is there and uh, we catalog the hardware and then from there on um, we feed the uh, the essentially the list of hard, of nodes into our deployer and we hit run. It's that easy. And, yep, this is why we invested in the deployment tools and automation tools. And okay. uh, uh, at the end of that, we have a working system um, that we then deliver back to the client. Here it is done. And uh, what's a typical use case where you bring value to the operations of a Ceph cluster, for example? Um, uh, are there certain cases that come up which would be hard to handle or analyze um, that you bring, like you know, a flashlight into the darkness? So um, recently, we have a client that um, they are a service provider. Um, fairly prominent in the home country. Uh, they had a problem with one of the, uh, they had some problem which they uh, saw the symptom being storage being kind of slow. But exactly what's the problem? No idea. Um, the smart data from all the disks. So now, where's the problem? Uh, could you repeat um, that last bit? Um, I missed it. The smart data what? So smart data was showing it's all fine. The disks, the hardware were all fine. So with that, where is the problem? We see this being that storage is low. So how do we figure out what's wrong? And Sardina and, Systems uh, were able to help with that because of the tooling that you have. Correct, correct, correct. So we used our tooling to identify that particular disk that was at fault, showing higher latency. And once we've identified that disk, we could then disable that disk. And once that disk was dis disabled, performance returned. Okay, well, that makes sense. I mean, uh, and from what I know about Ceph, Ceph is a redundant storage mechanism. So if I throw a file or some data into it, then it's being put onto many copies, as many as needed to guarantee redundancy and the, um, as data comes in and is deleted, then Ceph is constantly rebalancing. So it sounds like Correct. maybe Ceph was trying to uh, talk to that disk and there were timeouts that were being hit, but somehow the That's monitoring right. wasn't catching that. That sounds weird. That sounds like a bug in That's Ceph. Right. <laughs> and uh, uh, perhaps to, to add a little bit of color to, to it, the uh, service provider um, has amongst their customers, they are uh, national orchestra. So if the system doesn't perform well, the national orchestra has a problem. 
that cuts deep to my own heart since I'm <laughs> an orchestral musician. You know, with all respect for the cancer patients, I think this case is very compelling, the orchestra case. <laughs> no, all joking aside, that's pretty that's that's pretty amazing um, that you know, even something as non-technical as an orchestra is still in the end dependent on these extraordinarily complex technologies to uh, bring, you know, things about in, in the digital age. Who would have thought? <laughs> Very cool. Uh, Jens, do you have any plans to uh, expand into the, the Kubernetes product that uh, Sardina systems also offer? Maybe I'm asking a question I shouldn't be asking publicly. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we, we can be open about that. Um, Kubernetes as buzzword as topic pops out uh, once in a while uh, among my users. That's uh, not a big surprise. Everybody's talking about that. But after a second and third look in many, many cases, um, the use cases don't really fit. So mm. these guys often are more happy with the classical batch queue or just a VM. So um, it always depends. We are currently working on, on one project where we create, yeah, we could call that a science gateway based on multiple microservices. And there it's the first time in the last years for me that I'm seriously thinking about uh, putting that on a Kubernetes cluster to, to balance everything and so on. But um, yeah, we have to see what the future brings out. Okay, that makes sense. We actually have a question from the audience. I'm gonna pop that up here. Coming back to the Ceph question, um, are, there, are there alternatives to Ceph? And that's, that's, um, that's a question that I don't know the answer to, so I'm gonna defer to Ken. So, uh, certainly, um, there are alternatives to Ceph. Um, with uh, OpenStack, we can plug into a broad range of uh, uh, storage backends. So, um, and typically, you're looking at uh, storage that presents themselves with the iSCSI interface. Um, or indeed, we could also uh, talk to traditional uh, NFS. Network file system, yes. Yep. Good old NFS. Good, good old NFS. But that lacks a lot of the, I mean, that's great for just storage, but correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't NFS lack a lot of the redundancy and self-healing and rebalancing? That's okay. right. That's right. That's right. That's and it doesn't have copy on. It doesn't have copy on write and snapshot. That's right. Either, so right? it's a little. It, it shows up being a little bit slower. Um, but in terms of functionality, uh, from the OpenStack point of view, it works. It's like comparing a floppy disk to iCloud. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, and by the way, if there are more questions from the audience who might be live right now, uh, please feel free to ask them in the comments. We do get those. And if you're listening to this on the podcast or at a later time, then um, write to us uh, on an email or Twitter, and we'll still try and get your answers question, or questions answered, that is. So uh, I don't have any direct questions, but what am I missing here? What would you like to tell the audience about OpenStack or your experience that we haven't covered? 
you know, maybe the flexibility. We were talking about privacy and security quite a lot, but um, using a cloud in general is way more flexible than any other compute solution like classical HPC or supercomputing or stuff like that. There's a lot of power behind that, but often it lacks the flexibility. And for how do you characterize that flexibility? What are some examples of the flexibility you mean? I mean, we were talking about the Denby cloud in Tübingen. We have another cloud. It's called Machine Learning Cloud. The name says it all. Tübingen is quite strong on AI and machine learning. And these guys usually have a workstation with a big GPU to create their models, develop code and everything. But then they need to train that uh, to do some parameter studies. And the, the modus operandi we have with these guys that um, they have a VM with a strong GPU, all based on OpenStack and FishOS for development. And then we have a virtual queue, again, with plenty of GPUs where they can submit yeah, their, their workload. And all under the same hood, all with the same credentials, all pointing on the same storage. That's extremely convenient and efficient. As well and the, as the, the storage in this case is predominantly to store the large data sets that are being modeled on, to, on, on top of, is that right? Yes. So it's like the 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 storage there. Um, it's mostly read only. Is that uh, those sets? I mean, I'd mostly be reading that. That's how it can be shared between like a development environment and a production queue, right? Like I develop on a, in a microcosm of the data, but then when I really want to train the model, I put it into the the big system, and let it run. Is that how it works? Uh, pretty much, yes. The training data sets can be made available read-only almost everywhere. Then you have the intermediate data, of course, and then the result data. And we can uh, spread and separate and do, do how we like. Okay. And, and all of that's because you run your own private cloud on OpenStack. Yes. And I mean, in theory, that also would be possible to deploy and run something like that on a public cloud. But just to get the environment up and to, to have the, yeah, how shall I call that, service nodes up and running all the time, the, the costs would uh, go through the roof. Okay. Fantastic. What else am I missing? Ken, talk about your company a little bit more. What, have, how, what part of it have we not covered? So, I mean, if you look at, um, so today we've talked about uh, uh, private cloud usage of uh, FishOS. Um, if you look at a cloud, whether it's private or public, um, from an operator's perspective, is it really that much different? The answer is no. It isn't that much different. The principal difference um, between a public cloud and a private cloud is in the fact that in a public cloud, the service consumer and the operator do not belong to the same organization. Whereas in a private cloud, they are. And uh, a, so 
when you then look at it from the operator's perspective, could you use the same platform that is used to run a private cloud to provide a public cloud? The answer is yes. That, and that makes sense. I mean, as I mentioned with Orange Business Systems and OVH, it's exactly mm -hmm. that interoperability of the stack that allowed Indeed. us to be partners with those. Indeed. Um, and, and, and since I came back to case studies from Platform SH, I wanted to ask Michaela, um, are there other anecdotal um, case studies from your customer base that you wanted to share that would show the strength of OpenStack uh, in enabling great solutions, whatever industry? Well, we have plenty of them, but uh, most of them cannot be mentioned <laughs> as um, from um, a reason that we spoke before. Um, I can name a few. For example, as, um, we have um, um, telcos in Israel, one of the biggest uh, telco provider in Israel. Um, we have um, healthcare in Australia, and the system there, official system, is helping uh, um, the company uh, to. Uh, support the modern medicine and intensive uh, care sector. Um, we have um, hosting providers, um, banks. We even had a bank case, um, which again cannot be mentioned to do security and the information. Uh, what else? Uh, can am I missing anything else? And are the benefits so, for these customers generally similar to uh, what Jens has presented, um, or is there diversity in their use cases? Um, uh, I would say, in a broad stroke, yes, they are uh, very much similar. In perhaps in slightly different configurations, sometimes. So in uh, uh, in one particular case the client, um, they run FishOS as the uh, platform for their uh, uh, product development. And uh, they have several uh, clouds within the enterprise. Um, uh, FishOS systems are used um, not just for day-to-day -day development, but also um, for uh, uh, the entire CICD process. So um, the their product is built on OpenStack, deployed on OpenStack, and so uh, the uh, FishOS system sees continuous um, create, delete, create, delete a whole bunch of. Uh, uh, parts of their product. Um, the uh, uh, that particular product, um, their uh, VM count, their component counts are quite large. Sometimes they are creating several hundred um, VMs in a go, and so these sorts of uh, uh, high throughput create, test, delete usual in uh, CICD processes. Okay, fantastic. Um, and one last question, because 
everybody likes numbers, big numbers. What what are some of the you must be able to see, you know, in your dashboards? What are some of the larger numbers of like machines that uh, you manage for for any particular client? You don't have to say who it is or even where they are, but like what what's big in your world? Uh, I'd say so. First off, we don't uh, necessarily get into the details of what happens in a custom night, um, but uh, uh, at a certain customer site, um, we're looking at uh, several hundred thousand VMs. Several hundred thousand VMs. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot. How, how, how about for your cloud, Jens? Um, do you have a sense of, can you give us a sense of the scale of it in any metric that's meaningful or not confidential? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, academia, that's all pu public. That's easy here. But um, yeah, well, to compare to, to that number, I think today we had something like 20,000 VMs deployed, not necessarily running. So we okay. are re relatively small. On, on the scale of a tier three cluster or something like that. Okay. I still think 20,000 VMs is fairly respectable. Back in the day when uh, you used to do web development by spinning up like uh, VMware or something like that uh, on, yeah. on your computer, then I had like seven or eight VMs running on my computer on point and it was dead. It was like, <laughs> man, I, that was the end of it. So like scaling to 20,000 is already pretty respectable. <laughs> All right, good. Um, final comments, anybody? Any anything? Uh, hi, mom. Anything that uh, you want to add before we say goodbye for the week? All right, no, then I'll let you off the. Thank you so much, Michaela, Ken, Jens. Uh, that was really informative and exciting to me to hear how you guys are working together uh, in the sake of science and academia, making the world a better place, um, solving real practical problems, and that we all have this common interface together uh, through OpenStack, which is clearly one of the best governed and well positioned open source projects overall. Uh, that I know of, and I only have respect for the people involved with that. So thanks mm -hmm. for joining me today and talking about that. And uh, for all of you out there, see you next week for another edition of Deploy Friday. Don't forget to get push to the cloud now. It's Friday. And then go have your drink. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for having Thank us. You, Robert. Thank you. Thanks.